Hello there and welcome to another episode of the Long Live Rock and Roll podcast. We are here in beautiful sunny Soho in the abode of my co-host, Mr. Philippe Aurim. How's it going, man? Hi, Zim. I'm all right It's here. wonderful. Yeah, such a beautiful day. It's sunny. We're in Soho again. As usual, if you can hear the car horns, the scaffolding... Just know that it's a Saturday. Oh, it's not Saturday. It's Friday, isn't it? It's Friday, man. It's Still, Friday. Soho never gets, never stops being busy, does it? No, it's always, it's always <laughs> noisy. You know, there's like construction works, and uh, yeah, just like. I wouldn't change it for anything though. You wouldn't want a quiet Soho, no, would you? No, no, no. <laughs> it's like an oxymoron. It <laughs> is exactly. I actually have a um, uh, some some really interesting late nights where I can hear people arguing in the streets and I hear drunk people fighting just in front of my window. <laughs> I love that. That's the, that's the sound of so... Cancel your Netflix subscription. You've got it all outside. Exactly. you got, you know, action, <laughs> adventure, you got all, all genres. And uh, we actually have a, a really um, friendly neighbour who complains about live music because uh, I happen to play <laughs> at the building where I live, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and uh, there's a venue, music venue downstairs, and I play there twice a week. And there's a neighbor who complains because he moved to Soho a few years ago, and he realized it was noisy. Oh, you know. <laughs> that's it. But that's an important thing about live music, isn't it? That's just, just to address the issue. It's really interesting. Um, there's loads of people in London complaining about... Um, after they move near yeah. a live music venue, they're like, oh, it's too much noise. Guys, uh, live music is a, a really, really important industry for people like us and for music fans and for... For British in, culture. For British any culture. culture and, for, and it creates so many jobs. So uh, if you don't want noise, don't move near a yeah, music venue. Let people do their jobs. If you don't want noise... <laughs> Don't move to the centre of London in <laughs> London's music capital, Soho, for God's sake. Exactly. Anyway, so, right, the episode is officially started because Felipe's coffee is made. You can't see it, you can't you can hear, hear it. That's, that's it, on, uh, my on the, table. on the table. There we go. Trust us. Sponsored <laughs> by an espresso. <laughs> so today we are talking about a band that is one of my all-time favourite bands, and that is The Mighty. Metallica. Which is not one of my all-time favourite bands. <laughs> not against them, I love them, they're yeah. great. It's just, uh, <laughs> I, I haven't been um, listening to them uh, over the course of my life as much as you have. So Yeah, I, I'd say I'm a pretty big fan. They're definitely within my top ten bands, I think. So I'm just going to drink my coffee, Lars is going to talk throughout the whole show and that's it. No, don't so do that, they'll turn off. Oh, they, they like your voice. They like uh, it's the accent. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah. It's different, isn't it? It's different. Oh, yeah, it's new. Yeah. It's trendy. <laughs> the foreign accent is trendy. I know, yeah. Oh well, I think the way I wanted to talk about Metallica is, you know, quite often when we do these band things, like we we, we go chronologically, and sometimes it can seem like a bit of a history lesson, and we want to kind of just go away from that. We just want to talk about the music, really. Ironically, though, having said that, I am going to go in out in order of the albums, but we're not going to tell you about what happened on this year and when James went to rehab and all that stuff. You know, it happened, but I think what's most important is the music. Um, and I just want to talk about, I kind of, I'll plant my seed at the start of the episode. I think Metallica are one of the most versatile metal bands to have graced this planet. They've just done so much for metal music and for accessible mass market audiences as well you've just used the words that i was looking for accessible uh, it, it's funny because like sometimes all of us as music fans we tend to stick to something we like and just say oh this is rock for me oh my favorite band sounds like this i don't want them to change but don't you want them to 
actually become famous and make money and expand the industry of that yeah. music you love so much. And I think Metallica managed to become a very commercial band, as commercial as Guns N' Roses or, mm. or Nirvana. Or, no, you're right. Or, I think you're right. You yeah. know, without... Basically, are there is their logo on T-shirts in Primark? Yes, exactly. <laughs> that's it, though, isn't it? Wow, for those of you who are not in the UK, it might not be familiar with Primark. Yeah, we have this shop that kind of it's, it just sells whatever's on trend, and it anything that's on trend, it will take the logo, put it on a T-shirt, and sell it for a fiver. Quite often, <laughs> quite wrong. Quite yeah, often, it doesn't cost more than a fiver. Quite often, you'll see Nirvana T-shirts in their Guns and Roses, and there's always memes going around the internet of someone in a Nirvana shirt and someone talking to them saying, oh, hey, what's your favourite song? And them saying, of what? Because <laughs> they don't know what they're, they're wearing. Just you know. from Primark. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So if you... But they are a brand. Know. They're a universal brand, Metallica. We, everyone knows the, the, the special M with the little spike sticking out of it. We know them. Yeah, we know them. And I, I would dare to say that the only two metal bands that have reached that level of being commercial without stop being metal would be Iron Maiden and Metallica. My opinion, yeah. the ones I know, of course there's others. Uh, I think like if you consider System of a Down like a uh, metal band, which I believe they are, mm -hmm. they're very commercial as well. But Metallica had to go through a certain change in their style to get there. Multiple it? changes, yeah. This is, this is where I'll take over in a sense. When I was, I mean, uh, I'm studying, I'm kind of reading loads of books on musicology and I'm sort of trying to, I have this fascination of piecing together timelines of music history. I want to know what happened in this year to make this happen. And I remember going to see Metallica at the O2 Arena in 2008 on the Death Magnetic Tour with my cousin. And they had, the O2 Arena had done this fantastic display where as you're walking from the tube station to the venue, on the left-hand side was photos of, of musicians and their little, little, um, uh, little facts. So the Beatles, 1967, the Beatles released Sgt. Pepper to this and that. 1970, Black Sabbath released this, that and the other. Then I got to the 80s and it had a picture of Metallica. Now at that time, when I was a little metalhead, I still thought metal was kind of a niche genre. And I suppose it is, still. So I wasn't expecting to see bands like Metallica on this billboard I full get of everything. It. metal is underground, isn't yeah. it? It's not mainstream. But on this, on this board, it said 1981. Metallica invent thrash metal. And at this time, again, 2008, I'm 12 years old, and I don't think I'd studied or deduced the different kinds of metal. To me, there was just metal. And actually, do you know what? It didn't say thrash metal, it said speed metal. Speed metal. And I said to myself, and my cousin who I was with, I was like, what's speed metal? Oh, whatever it is, Metallica invented it in 81. <laughs> so this, that, that was the first instance in my life, in all honesty, where I've actually started to to be become interested in the in the history and the musicology behind music. So, sort of starting in that vein, I will just tell you that in 1981, Metallica were formed uh, with singer-guitarist James Hetfield, drummer Lars Ulrich, bassist Ron McGovney, and secondary guitarist Dave Mustaine. Oh, now, nice. for those who have uh, who have picked up on that, Dave Mustaine, uh, as you may know, is the lead singer and guitarist for other thrash metal band Megadeth. Megadeth, whom I saw live, um, if I'm not wrong, was in 2013. Oh, brilliant! Yeah, they're a great band, band technically. What a band! And Mustaine is 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 a fantastic singer. I mean, songwriter, guitar player. Mm. He, he knows how, how, how to do that kind of job. 
isn't it? It's yeah. interesting, yeah. We'll get to that later, especially with Megadeth. Yeah, yeah. um, so in 1983, they released Kill 'Em All, which is, um, according to the O2 Arena, the first speed metal album. And it is really interesting because you've got metal already. You know, don't forget, Iron Maiden have been about for seven years at this point. So yeah. metal had been established. We had the new wave of British heavy metal. We had Judas Priest. We had Iron Maiden. We had Saxon. We had these bands, or obviously Sabbath in 1970 inventing heavy metal so metal has been about for 13 years at this point but this speed thrash metal this is what's important metallica bought energy fast playing shouting and technical um astuteness to heavy metal interesting and the first album kill em all was the sort of defining moment in that and when you say speed metal i assume because i'm not familiar with the first album that most songs, if not the entirety of the album, is played really fast. Yeah, they are. Yeah. So that is, because if we want to call the genre speed metal, <laughs> yeah. it needs to be fast, yeah, right? exactly. And uh, it's interesting, though, isn't it? Uh, 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 who was the main songwriter at the time? So they were all song. I know, um, James Hetfield and Lars Ulrich. Interesting. But Dave Mustaine has some co-writing credits on that album. Although he wasn't playing the he album. He wasn't playing on the album, yeah, he did yeah. beforehand, which is really interesting. So Metallica's first three albums all encapsulated this speed metal, thrash metal vibe that we're, we're hearing about. You know, it is, in, it is at its core the innovations and the first pioneerings of thrash metal. Yeah. And you've got 1983, Kill Em All, 1984, Ride the Lightning, 1986, Master of Puppets. Those are the first three thrash metal albums of Metallica's career, and potentially of thrash metal altogether. And there were some consistencies that were going on with these albums. For example, Ride the Lightning, actually all three of them, had instrumental songs, which I don't think was very common for heavy metal music. That's interesting, yeah, yeah, no, no. You expect, like, um, fast guitar solos and someone yeah. shouting... Yeah, no, no, you're right. Yeah, there's but always a there's always a vocal line, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, but long instrumentals, seven eight minutes long, which I thought is very interesting because, like I said, you know, metal didn't. I don't think metal was known for instrumentals, especially back in the early '80s. So for Metallica to have kind of pioneered that instrumental uh, vibe and putting one on each album, I thought was quite impressive. That, that's something that um, we usually talk about at the end of the episodes, but I'm going to ask you this now. Okay. What makes them really important for the history of rock music? Um, well, it's because we we will get there eventually, obviously. But each album, or well, not each album, certain groupings of albums they develop their sound and they change their genre. I go as far as saying that there's some albums where I would call them hard rock instead of metal. Interesting. There is, and I'll, I'll say I'll tell you them when we get there. But they've always moved with the times. Um, I can't remember who else we spoke about, which other band we were talking about who did this. Um, excuse me. Definitely one of our previous episodes. But I know who it was. It was when we did Queen. Yeah. And we said that as the music and as what became popular in that time, yes, evolved. Adapt. Queen yeah. adapted, and I feel Metallica did that in the metal scene. I would say, to be honest, man, I think the. The most important thing about that, in my opinion, is what you said right at the beginning. They made that whole genre accessible. Yeah. And this is important. If you want to just listen to, uh, uh, you know, 
underground bands and no one listens to, that's great. Yeah. But sometimes we need one band to stand out of that scene, you know, uh, and and just become mainstream. Do something different. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, just as, as usual, guys, the, the playlist for this episode will be at the bottom of the show notes. Um, we're going to put in some Metallica songs we think you should listen to. From Kill 'Em All, we're going to put in Seek and Destroy um, and The Four Horsemen. And there's the instrumental from that one is called Anesthesia Pulling Teeth. And that is a Cliff Burton bass solo. All right. Um, which is fantastic. He's, Cliff Burton's quite innovative in his bass playing because although Metallica were doing the speed thing he was also doing the thing with his bass he was distorting the tone of the bass and doing solo stuff that you weren't hearing in metal music these days um, so I'll put those ones in from Ride the Lightning I mean the whole album's fantastic but you've got to put in Fight Fire with Fire Ride the Lightning Fade to Black and Creeping Death for me and Master of Puppets, I mean, that's their most famous album because it was the genre-defining one. It's kind of like with Kill 'Em All and Ride the Lightning, they were, they knew what they were doing, but I don't think they'd mastered... Just, I think that's yeah. fair. I don't think they'd mastered it yet. Whereas Master of Puppets is the finished article of Metallica's thrash metal days. It's where they actually found... Their sound, yeah. yeah. So Master of Puppets, I mean... God, what, what songs wouldn't you put in? Battery, Master of Puppets, The Thing That Should Not Be, Orion, the instrumental, uh, Damage Inc., the final song, uh, Sanitarium, the, the, the slow ballad one that gets heavier as it goes on. All fantastically written songs on there. Um, now, in 1986, a really tragic thing happened uh, with the momentum of the band building and the Master of Puppets having just been released. Um, whilst they were on tour, and it terribly, I can't remember where it was, it could have been Canada, um, the Metallica tour bus crashed, and Cliff Burton was thrown from the bus, and he, I think he was crushed by the bus, and he died. Um, and so that started a, a running theme with Metallica, which was change of bass players. Are they only change of bass players, isn't that? I mean, yeah. since they consolidated that lineup with, with Cliff on bass, uh, uh, and not having... Uh, um, Dave Mustaine on, on guitar. From that point onwards, from the first only, album, yeah, yeah, from the first album. If you consider the the first lineup, the first album, they only changed the bass players. Am I right? Yeah, you know, you're right. Yeah, nothing else changed. And it's it's a hard one because Cliff Burton was so. I mean, you listen to the bass playing on Master of Puppets, and it's just phenomenal. It's so innovative for bass playing. No one was playing the bass that fast under those circumstances in those times. With a metal band, it's when, like, come when, on. Yeah, when I was a teenager and I first heard of Metallica, I've heard the story about his death and the fact that people uh, would call him like a... It's like a guitar player, like a solo guitarist yeah. on bass. That's a bass. fair comment. That's a, that's a very yeah. fair comment. He was phenomenal. So in steps um, Jason Newstead, who replaces... Um, uh, Cliff Burton, and then they do the album called Unjustice for All. Now, Unjustice for All is my favourite Metallica album. Um, there is not a single riff on it that I do not like. I think it's just fantastic. I think it's um, it is it is the perfect consolidation of the first three Metallica albums. Yeah, I you've think... got the speed, you've yeah. got the thrashiness, you've got the great songwriting, you've got the extended instrumentals. For me, all the first three albums, what they learnt from it all comes together for Unjustice for All. Unjustice for All is an album that I've I've listened to start to finish oh, when you? I was fairly young I and I um, still remember being really impressed about the fact they have like long songs that actually tell the story you know and, and uh, 
maybe Lars' drumming is at his at its peak on that album. Yeah, I would say so. He's so. like some really cool double kick work in the album. No, it is. And, and it's like yeah, it's album. perfect metal drumming for for whoever's a drummer and wants to gain to the, the well. Style and, and for the guitarists and bassists, yeah. the riffs are just phenomenal. They are yeah. the perfect definition of heavy metal at that time. That was 1988. That album. Um, but actually, going on what you said, let's do a quick segment. Right. Here's segment. This is we need to talk about. So I think today we're going to address some common um, criticisms of Metallica uh, in saying that we need to talk about Mr. Lars Ulrich. So Felipe, as a drummer, I'm going to hand this over to you. My question to you is, last night I was watching Metallica's live performances from the 80s, one from the 90s and one from a few weeks ago actually. Lars can drum and some of the stuff he does is fantastic. But in the world of metal and drummers, it is a common uh, thing to know that Lars Ulrich is far from a perfect drummer. My question is, what does he do wrong? What does he need to do better? But despite whatever you answer to those two questions, he's made a career from drumming. Tell us about Lars Ulrich. Right. Uh, <laughs> controversial. Right. Uh, um, I actually have something very positive to say about him, but... Let's start from the criticism he gets from, from fans and, and music critics in general. They say he's not good enough for the band and uh, he used to be a better drummer. I think no one would argue that he did a phenomenal job in those first albums, especially and Justice For All. So he's got his name in, in rock history. He's got his whole chapter in rock history as one of the most important drummers because he created those drum parts and he performed them to a high standard at that time. Is he, like, technically the best metal drummer? No. Metal drummers are famous for being really, really technical, and he's probably not one of the most technical, but he's creative. But, all right, he hasn't played to the same standards recently, and people have criticized him for that. I've seen some footage, and I think it's, it's, it's clear that there's, like, some speeding up, you know, not being able to keep the tempo. Yeah, his fills um, aren't always clean either. No, no. He doesn't so come out of a drum fill well. I, I don't remember the song, but I've seen a um, situation where they stopped the song because he can't play <laughs> oh, a certain God, part. Really? Also, he was recording, uh, he was actually hired to do, uh, to be himself for the video game, I think it's uh, Guitar Hero or... Yeah, it was the rock band rock Guitar band, Hero. Whatever. So he basically was in the studio to just... Uh, play his drum pass so they, they would capture the motions to create his avatar in the game <laughs> so they wanted 3D Lars playing like he plays moving like he moves but there's footage of him recording and, and not being able to play a certain part of the song <laughs> the song that he created and recorded himself years ago and he keeps doing the same mistake over and over over yeah. and over and, and, just can't and, get it. and he got like all those people in this like studio uh uh, uh, you know, capturing motions for a 3D thing, and they're looking at him and like, "Come on, dude, that's you playing your yeah. part." So yes, but, you can criticize him. But in answer to that, I think you're going to address it now. Yeah, he is allowed to take as much time as he wants. He is allowed to make these mistakes because he is one half of the original founders of Metallica. He has built this brand. He has written these songs. He is responsible for the 
um, I suppose marketing and professional direction Metallica has gone in. So who are we to criticise him? Well, if you're in a rock band, you know that music is probably half of it. Yeah. There's the human relations, there's the business side of it. You've got to, you've got to work really hard on many aspects of your uh, uh, band's uh, uh, admin stuff and, and musical stuff if you, want, if you want to get somewhere. And he certainly uh, um, worked really hard on everything, especially at the beginning, to get to the point they are. But most of all for me, can you imagine Metallica with any other drummer? For real? No, no. So you can no, get like never. really, you know, you can't have one of, I'll name one of my favorite drummers, Vinnie Colaiuta. You know, he actually recorded for Megadeth, but I wouldn't like to see him uh, <laughs> with Metallica. Yeah. I think Lars is the drummer that best suits the band because of his style. Yes, he could go back to the practice room for a bit and yeah. maybe, uh, and, and get his chops together again. And that would be really beneficial for the band. But mm. Uh, he is a legend because he came up with legendary drum parts for legendary rock albums. Yeah. If people can't respect that, uh, it's just unfair, in my opinion. Yeah. So I, I, That's a fair I, I would defend yeah. him because I think he 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 contributed to the, uh, to the history of of heavy rock in a way that that not many musicians were able to. Mm. So That's hats great off point, to great Lars. Point. Yeah, hats off to Lars. Um, he deserves it. He deserves it. Um, after their four thrash albums, Metallica, well, essentially they changed uh, the course of metal music because they released the self-titled album Metallica, which is also known as the Black Album. Now, what this album did so fantastically was, um, if you look, if you look back at the, the the previous three albums, Master of Puppets, Justice, and Ride the Lightning. There are long songs on there. The yeah. first tracks, Battery and Ride the Lightning, they're about six and a half minutes with their acoustic intros. Master of Puppets is eight minutes long. And Justice for All, the song is about nine and a half minutes long. The Black Album came in and it kept songs at accessible lengths. You're only going between four and five minute songs on average on the Black Album. And this is where Metallica put their hat into making heavy metal accessible. Okay, shorter songs. That means you. That means you can play on the radio, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Was that the reason? Was that intentional? Oh, I don't know. So? I, I think. I think they went for a completely different writing style. To be honest, um, the thing about the Black Album is that um, you've got a wide variety of songs in there. Now, what I feel they don't ever let up on is their metal riff writing. The metal riff writing stays as good as the previous three or four albums. What changed, though, is things like the choruses. Enter Sandman, Sad But True. Those songs, those are songs that even, you know, my brother Tarek, we've spoken about him before when we did the band episode. He went to, was it Glastonbury? The year that Metallica headlined, or maybe it was one of the other festivals. He doesn't like Metallica. He doesn't know, he, he doesn't know enough about Metallica or their music to pay for a ticket to see them on their own. But there was no other band on at the time, and he chose to see Metallica. And he called, he called me after. He said, "Laz, he said, amazing live band," and he was singing along to Enter Sandman because everyone knows the chorus. Uh, it's it's uh, um, amazing, isn't it? The because Black Album is is accessible metal. Uh, the, the Black for Album for the first time. Yeah, did they take the 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 album cover idea from Smell the Glove? <laughs> 
or spinal tap, how much more black can it get? The answer is none. None, none more none, black. None more black. <laughs> that's, the, that's definitely a smell of the glow, isn't it? I think so, yeah, yeah. I think so. <laughs> okay, so we have now a segment, Last Unleashed. Yeah, well, unfortunately, you know, despite all of my comments, I'm just going to have to come out and say it. For me, the Black Album is not one of Metallica's best pieces of work. Whoa. Which is con- it's very controversial because a lot of Metallica fans, a lot of metal fans think of it as Meta- a, a, Metallica's best album, and B, one of heavy metal's best albums. But for me, there was a certain personality and character in their four previous albums that thrash the thrashiness the speed the instrumentals that we were getting when i first started listening to metallica i did it in order actually that's not true i did and justice for all then i went back and did kill him lightning master justice again and i was so excited to get to the next step of that i was like holy shit look at this journey we've gone on kill him lightning master justice what's next Black album, oh my god, black! Like this is the this is the black is the color of heavy metal. Yes, like, exactly. What's next? Man, glove, right? Listen, let's go for it. I enjoyed. I, <laughs> I enjoyed that. There's a lot of songs on the black album I do enjoy. Sad but true is phenomenal. Um, of Wolf and Man is amazing. Uh, Nothing else matters. God, is there is there a more well known metal ballad than Nothing Else Matters? I don't think so. No, that's. But for me, the the core. Uh, it's it, for me. It's too accessible. It, they, 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 it's uh, a bit too much for you. It's a bit too accessible. They, there's too many sing-along choruses. There's what too a many metalheady world. Uh, <laughs> yeah, oh, complaining God. about a band's most accessible album. Listen, what it did for metal is that, that there is no competition. It is probably the most important metal album in metal history because of what it did. Because of shortening the songs, getting the catchy choruses in, the sing-along ballads like Nothing Else Matters. It is so important to how metal has got to where it is these days and the legacy of metal. But it might be... God, just give me 30 seconds. It might be one, two, three, four... Maybe my seventh favourite Metallica album... Um, so yeah, wow. Unleashed for personal opinion. I have no qualms with what it's done and how good it is in history, but just for me. As a matter of your, your yes, personal that's, that's taste, it's not, um, yeah. okay. After the Black Album came Metallica's grunge era, and I don't they don't like it. Uh, fans don't do like using this label. They no, they did a series of albums. They took a five year break where they did lots of touring, and then they did some albums. They did Load. They did Reload and they did Garage Incorporated. Load and Reload is essentially, it's not by any means a double album, but they were going for the same thing. Load and Reload, yeah, that's why they named it like that. And the songs are very grungy, they're very garagey. It sounds like the, the band have recorded or written these songs in a garage as teenagers, sort of with these old style sort of classic rock bands in their head. Um, it's almost got punky feels to them. Yeah. Some very good songs. So over those two albums, I'll put these songs in the playlist. Um, you've got to go for Outlaw Torn, um, Ain't My Bitch, uh, King Nothing. Um, there's What's the other one? Um, Bleeding Me is beautiful. And I highly recommend these albums to people who do not like heavy metal as we know it. And what I felt was more interesting with this is that the word I've used first off in my notes for these three albums is grunge. Now look at the dates. 96, 97, and 98. That's when grunge was at its peak. 
That's when Pearl Jam and Soundgarden were doing their thing. That's when Nirvana were doing their thing. That's when grunge was coming out of America. So it's only when I was doing my research that I actually thought Metallica are moving with the times. They did the thrash stuff and they realised that at the start of the 90s, maybe thrash wasn't going to be that popular anymore. So they did the Black Album. At the end of the 90s, maybe they know that traditional metal isn't going to be popular anymore. So they go on to the grunge stuff. So they, yeah, they were adapting to the times, but in a way that they were actually trying to lead the changes as well. Does that make any yes, sense? Yes, it does make sense. It's like I the, say the industry is going towards that thing, so let's do it better. What? Uh, yes, yeah, I'm, yeah, I do agree with you. Uh, the only thing I'd change is I'd say they, they wouldn't, I don't think they'd be trying to lead grunge. I think they'd be trying to lead metal in a grunge direction. Why? Because grunge is what's selling at the moment. Does that make sense? It does. So I don't think they were trying to lead the whole music industry. Yeah. But they were trying to lead their music industry. Make metal survive. Well, look what they did in 91 yeah. with the Black Album. They yeah. said, we need big choruses, short songs. Let's write a metal album like that. So why? Black Album. Yeah. Late 90s. We need music that sounds less produced, more like it's from a garage. So... Just one riff for a song instead of loads of different riffs. Let's make our music grungy. There's a couple of uh, things I've seen in documentaries about about them, which one is the idea behind Enter Sandman, because they, they actually wrote it as a speed metal song, right? Is it really? Yeah. I didn't know that. So, the riff was played really, really fast. Wow. And the producer came to them and said, look, I want this like half tempo or less. Don't you guys want to be more commercial? Uh, just play it like slowly so people can hear and understand every single note so that's what I've heard about about that so does it make sense so like if you play so basically they were doing the stuff they were doing right at the beginning yeah at a slower pace and that makes it makes it easier yeah Yeah. (laughs) easier to play so people can learn the riff on the guitar you know the fans can learn it can play I mean if you if you play thrash metal for a decade maybe you want things a bit easier for the second part of your career isn't it (laughs) exactly and yeah and the other thing is uh, nothing else matters they they uh, apparently uh, Hatfield came with that song uh, but he was just like playing on his own and uh, someone I, I don't know if it was the producer or one of his bandmates who came to him and said, look, why don't we record this? So this is like just my thing. It's really personal. Yeah. And it's not metal. It's not It's not really a Metallica song. And I said, why not? If it's your song, it's a Metallica song. So, so like that's, ideas, that's a bit you're of saying, the, Yeah, you're, yeah. Saying, you're actually bringing to, the, to this discussion the fact that something I hadn't considered, which is actually they put their own personal stamp on metal. Yeah. Not, not, not Metallica. James Hetfield. Well, nothing else matters. Is a, is a rock ballad. Yeah. Right. It could, it could be a Scorpion song. Mm-hmm. Sorry if you guys feel offended by that. It could be <laughs> a Guns N' Roses song. Yeah. It could be whatever. You know, any any heavy metal hard rock band could have recorded a song like mm. that, and it would be you know classic power ballad. It's what it is. Yeah. It's dark, but it's a ballad, and I think. The fact they allow themselves to go there and record it without, you know, they knew they would be judged. Oh, Metallica doing a ballad, you know, we want to hear heavy stuff, but yeah. why not? You know? But at the place they put it in the album, it just fits perfectly. There you it's go. a wonderful place, yeah. Um, right, so we'll stick with studio albums because then five years later, they the lineup changed again. 
and uh, Jason Newstead left. I believe there was quite a bit of friction and tension in the band, uh, and so they were replaced. It's, it's quite a famous um, uh, pro, um, replacement process. You can actually see the videos on YouTube of them auditioning different bass players, and you've got all these bass players from different bands turning up. And it's interesting to hear the different personalities in terms of bass playing play with Metallica. Uh, but the gentleman that succeeded and got awarded the $1 million signing bonus oh was, God, what a deal. <laughs> was Mr. Robert Trujillo, um, who was formerly played with Ozzy Osbourne and the band Suicidal Tendencies. Um, so he joined the band in 2003 as Metallica were writing their St. Anger album. Now, St. Anger is often an album that fans will throw away because it, it's not great. I mean, it is. It, it feels like the leftover demos from the Reload and Load album, the songs that didn't make it, that weren't good enough. St. Anger's not a bad tune, and Frantic is a good tune as well, so they'll be in the playlist. Um, but Metallica really found that they chose the right guy in Rob Trujillo because they went and they toured a shitload after that. Uh, it was actually a good five years they were on tour, um, touring the world, and he just seemed to fit in. It, and he seems to be having the time of his life. Why would, yeah. You know, I would. mean, why wouldn't you? But yeah. it's not like, oh, I'm a professional guy doing my job. It's quite it's interesting. Like, yeah, fuck yeah, I'm yeah. with Metallica. His position, Look at me. <laughs> yeah. his position in the band is very interesting, and I think it's probably worth discussing this. Yeah. Cliff Burton was an original, he wasn't an original member, but he was, he, he became a member of the band after yeah. Dave Mustaine and Ron McGovney left. Burton, Cliff from the first album. Yeah, so Cliff, uh, Burton, Hammer, Hetfield and Ulrich were Metallica when the first album was released. They all had a sort of a say in what went on. Yeah. Now, interestingly, when Cliff died and Jason Newstead came in, a very, very interesting thing happened. On the Unjustice for All album, Jason Newstead's bass is in, almost impossible to hear. Now, the official statement, I believe, is that there was an issue with the recording of the bass and the audioly and orally, it wasn't coming through in the mix well enough. The what do you controver think? well, the controversial and the conspiracies around it is that James and Lars were still absolutely uh, still grieving for Cliff Burton. And although Newstead could come and play these these notes and these bass lines fantastically, they didn't want their best friend Cliff being replaced that quickly. Oh, then you're talking about, yeah, friendship. There's a human side of it. Yeah, but yeah. His, I, I think uh, the way Newstead has been treated by the band and the fans, or some of the fans, over the, the, the years was quite unfair. Yeah, I mean, uh, I to agree. Cool. Yeah, yeah, because here's the thing. Um, he is a great musician to start with. He's got... Good voice, he sings some parts and you know, BVs and yeah. stuff. He's a phenomenal bass player, in my opinion. He plays what the song needs and is solid. And he had a really professional attitude, yeah. uh, you know, towards the band. And he did a flawless job from the beginning. But he was all, always, you know, the shadow of Cliff Burton because everyone was a big fan of Cliff yeah. and I've heard from many fans oh how could they you know possibly go on without Cliff that's not even fair they should have stopped the band but really imagine putting your whole life into something and you finally become successful and unfortunately one of your best friends died mm. he died and you wouldn't you carry on if you can if you have the mental strength to carry on because it's really sad but 
You do. You would do it in honor of Cliff, wouldn't you? Also, yeah, but it's it's uh, for what people don't understand is like if you don't want to listen to a band from that point onwards, just don't do it. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to. Yeah, you just say, well, after Cliff, it's not Metallica anymore, so don't listen. If you're going to gonna protest Jason Newstead, just don't listen to anything listen, but, after Master of Puppets. Yeah, but I would say, why not allowing a band to carry on and just like respect their choice of yeah. of of moving forward and try something else, even if they, they lost, you know, the most important member of the band or whatever, because, well, that's rock and roll, isn't it? Mm. You, you just you just carry on regardless of how hard it is and regardless of losing some core elements of the band. Mm. You can still do something. And what if is good? Mm. In no, that case, right, they yeah. prov- I think And Justice For All is a great metal album. I'm Imagine still... not having that album in the history of rock yeah. music. I'm still shocked at how much I love that album because I cannot hear any bass on it. Yeah. So as a bass player, it shocks yeah, me. Hear. I want yeah. to hear bass. And God, I mean, can you imagine? Yeah. If anyone involved with Metallica is listening to this, if anyone, <laughs> get them to do a remaster, please. I don't mind if Rob re-records the bass. I just want And Justice For All to with have bass. A bass. <laughs> yeah, that's all the bass player wants, please. Um, well, get Jason to re-record. Yeah, yeah, yeah let's do the Jason. Yeah, it's... Um, yeah, I think it's very unfair on him, all the criticism he got. And people seem to accept Trujillo, like... Yeah. And not it's very him. odd, it's weird. It? It's very yeah. odd. But anyway, you know, fans will be fans. Haters yeah. will hate, you know, all that yeah. stuff. And I don't, I don't know what the, the reason is, but anyway. Um... After after Trillio had now been long in this band and sort of he, he's now found his place. Oh, so that's why I mentioned it to go back because what I was going to say is that Burton was a member of the band, Newstead was a member of the band, and with Trujillo. Now this isn't official. This is only what I believe to be true from what I've seen, yeah. documentaries I've watched, stuff I've read. I believe that Rob Trujillo doesn't have a vote in what goes on with the band. Yeah, I think he 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 doesn't. Uh own the brand with them because I think the lawyer said you can't just get someone in the band after many decades and yeah. just make them a, a, like a full member of the band. I think, I think that's fair though, isn't it? I, yeah, I think it's fair. Yeah, it's a business. Anyway. He got his, so, he got his one million signing on bonus. Oh, I imagine that Hetfield that sorts your life out exactly. Yeah, I imagine Hetfield, Hammer, and Ulrich are probably making money from the from the branding side of it. Maybe he, I takes think a I th- he takes a percentage, but it's a lower percentage. Yeah. Which obviously he wasn't part of the whole history of the band, so yeah, it makes sense that the other guys deserve a higher percentage of whatever was produced yeah. before him. Uh, but one interesting thing, though, why would you give someone a million uh, bonus? And I, I have a feeling that imagine, well, Trailer was playing with with some big names, but he didn't have the same life as those guys had no. as rock stars. He yeah. was touring vans and stuff like and then you joined a band with people who are multimillionaires. I imagine they it's just it's just a guess, right? That they thought, I want this guy to feel welcome, unlike the other the, the, the previous bass yeah. So Newstead wasn't feeling welcome for all those years. And they were like, we want this guy to be our mate and to feel happy and comfortable. How can you be mates? with someone who's got a millionaire lifestyle, if they're not a millionaire. So, mm. there you go, mate. Here's a million. You're one of us. <laughs> you know, yeah. if, you to, if you want to buy a Ferrari, now, yeah. because, like, you can be like us for real. But I do also think that million could have been offered as a way of saying, you're in the band now, yeah. but you're not going to get any voting rights. 
and you're only going to take 10% of brand, whereas we get 50, uh, 40% each or whatever. Yeah. That doesn't make, that doesn't add up. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> if, uh, I don't know what, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. 30% each and then last uh, last 10% to Trilio. Yeah. Maybe. Um, but anyway, I think that was a way of saying, we really want you to be in Metallica, but you're not going to be in Metallica. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and I don't, find, I don't think he, he would mind that. Well, he, he accepted it. He, of he course, accepted the Of course, because you, know. you just joined a, a like... Metal's biggest band, you know, there's no Exactly, question, one of there. the biggest musical yeah. acts in fucking <laughs> history. Yeah, history. And, and uh, you don't own it, but do you need to? So just, you know, do your job, get well paid, yeah. have fun. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. I and think, I think he's a great musician. Oh, he is. And, and I, I can really hear the difference since he comes in. And I don't know where... This is the thing. I don't know how much impact he's had on this. But after... The next album that came after St. Anger was Death Magnetic. Now, this also is a really important album because Metallica, like I said, through this journey, they've ventured off and they've done this garage, grungy punk thing. Oh, quickly. Here is Feed the Drummer. Right, wow. so I did that. I threw that in How quickly. How are you going to feed me today? I'm going to feed you with an album you need to listen to by Metallica. It's not classed as a studio album, even though I think it should be. And it's called Garage Inc. It is them in the garage recording covers. It is a covers album. Right, I'm only familiar with one song. Whiskey which... in the Jar? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, they also do Am I Evil um, by, oh God, by Diamond Head. Stone Cold Crazy by Queen. Oh, nice. There are it's there's some fantastic really? covers on there, bro. Yeah, really good stuff. You know, I I, <coughs> I think Thing Lizzy is a great band, and the fact they chose one of their songs for yeah. for 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 the album was great. Yeah, I, um, I feed you that. You gotta go yeah. listen to that. Some That's one of on the that. first videos I've seen on MTV. Was, uh, how was rock and roll is it? Yeah, how rock and <laughs> roll is that? Actually, shall we do another segment? Do it. How rock, how rock and roll, roll is that? Right, so how rock and roll is the video for Whiskey in the Jar? Zero right? to a hundred, Felipe. How rock and roll is the video of Whiskey in the Jar? God, all right. You have half-naked people getting smashed, drinking, and possibly using other sorts of drugs. In a hotel room. In a, ho <laughs> is a hotel room, yeah. I think it, it is, It looks yeah. like, like, it's like a house party. Could, you're right, it could be someone's house, I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. whatever. Hotel room or a house, or a small house, is basically... a a bunch of people getting pissed and and messing around whilst a band is in this corner of the room yeah. playing loud music. I mean, and then that it descends into chaos, doesn't it? Into they chaos. start trashing the room. I mean, wow. We're trying to be fair with the numbers, but that is a high one, isn't it? That's got to be something around. I'll give it eighty-eight. I think that's fair because. When, when, if you're, you know, obviously we're musicians. If you go and talk to someone, I don't know. I'm trying to think. If you're in the, I don't know. If you're in the bank or something, and you tell someone you're a musician, and you say, well, "That's what, what, what music, music do you life play?" Life. Yeah, what music do you play? Rock. Oh, did you, when was the last time you trashed the hotel room? <laughs> like that's the stereotypical thing yeah. associated with rock musicians. Done. Yeah, <laughs> which we have never done. No, no, we would have but, to pay for it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the real world. <laughs> but yeah, so I think I think to 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 characterise rock and roll in a heavy metal band covering an Irish song by a classic rock band 
88 is fair. Eight, eight, yeah, <laughs> yeah there we go. Number, 88, that's our score. Um, anyway, back to the album. Uh, Death Magnetic. Very, very important because it feels like, for the first time, Metallica had taken and looked back at what was previously there and took the best parts of each. They looked back at the thrash and they did songs like, oh God, what was what's it called? My, my Apocalypse. Um, the first three songs, uh, That Was Just Your Life, My Apocalypse. They took the thrash from it. Um, they looked back at the accessible chorusy songs from the Black Album and they wrote The Day That Never Comes and All Nightmare Long. They looked at their longer songs like Master of Puppets and maybe some of the stuff from the Load Album and they wrote the song The Judas Kiss. These will all be in the playlists, guys. And I feel this album is the encapsulation of what Metallica has become. Not what it was in the 80s, not what it was in the 90s, what it is now. This is what Metallica have done. We've learned from this, this and this, and here is what we've given you now. And it really is a fantastic metal album that just spans nearly every sub-genre within metal. I don't mean that like metalcore and black death metal. I mean Metallica's sub-metal sub you know, styles. Um, so that really is a wonderful album. I really recommend it for everyone. And I've said the best songs, I think, on there. Um, and I feel they did the same eight years later with their latest album, which is called Hardwired to Self-Destruct. I don't think the songs are as well written as the Death Magnetic one, but the, the feeling is the same. They're going for lengthy songs, but with some good choruses, with some thrashy elements, with some great guitar solos. Um, and I think that was a really nice way to kind of finish up with Metallica's studio albums. It really does feel that they're now, they've found a place where they've, they've identified and taken the best parts of their history and put it into one, uh, or two albums, and whenever the next one comes out, three, you know. They, they've learned from the past and they've said, this is what our fans like, we'll deliver it to you like this. Do, what do you think, uh, in terms of Metallica, if, if they just carry on recording studio albums, yeah. Because uh, some people like uh, it's it's interesting how how passionate Metallica fans are, and they tend to really hate some of the albums. Maybe different albums. Maybe uh, they do. Some, some people some, a lot hate Load and Reload. A lot hate Death Magnetic. Yeah, and Santanga is one of those, isn't it? That yeah. people hate, uh, especially there's snare sound in the album. <laughs> Everyone talks about that. Uh, I, we I need say... to talk about the snare sound on Santanga. <laughs> no, 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 Yeah, but uh, right. I know, is it, do they really care? Because that's what I like about them. They just keep recording, releasing stuff. They know well, some people are going to hate it. But yeah. if you come to the gig, right? If, again, if you're a fan, you don't like something, imagine how much we would have lost if bands wouldn't dare to go into a studio and record yeah. an album. If yeah. they were just like, oh, you know what? Oh, we have this like these ten albums that everyone loves. Let's just not record another one because they might hate us for that. Yeah. But it's like keep doing it. If you don't like it, don't buy it. Don't listen to it. That's fine. Mm. But I wouldn't judge a band for trying to record new stuff, regardless of how Never. old they are. No. And what do you think about it? Do you think they should just carry on recording albums whenever they feel like, and until until one of them dies and and that's it. Or they should just say, oh, let's call it a day, we have enough studio albums, let's just go on tour. Oh, I see what you mean. It's a hard question because they could. the next album could be terrible. 
But I, I take it. I would take a terrible album because it's metallic. I trust them. Because it's it's um, very recently um, they were touring Brazil and um, oh, you've seen on it. the news. Yeah. I've seen on the news in Belo Horizonte. Yeah, you, your town. You've been there. Uh, can I just say something about that? <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to say a really positive thing is that uh, as Felipe is alluding to, James Hetfield was on stage um, and he actually he actually started crying because. He was get. He had a. I think it was a, pa- a panic attack or some anxiety issues bef- yeah. um, backstage before the show, and it was related to the fact that he's getting older and he can't play his guitar as well. And I think he said he can't sing as well. And he said, you know, I was really ready not to do this show, but these guys. And then they. It was really like one of those. You know, you wouldn't blame it if someone, if a PR person wrote this as a script, but you could tell yeah, this yeah. was genuine. The band came around and they hugged him. I just wanted to say it's, it's a huge, massive deal for for mental health advocates and for mental health with men yeah. for James Hetfield to have stood there as one of the biggest men in rock music and say I struggled today today yeah. I struggled so Hetfield you know you don't know how far you you telling people that you're suffering from mental health issues and anxiety and panic attacks you don't know how far that you admitting that could help someone, some teenager who is struggling more than, uh, not more than you, but doesn't have the same resources you do. So huge, well done, and thank you to James Hetfield for for highlighting men's mental health issues, which I know is quite a serious issue these days. So huge kudos to you. Um, well, well done for, for the rest of the band who got behind him, supported him, and said, mate, it's okay. Well, because, you know, we, we've been on the road, we, we know, and uh, being on the road uh, as a band... How many times you need your bandmate support, and it happens, you know. And even if you're strong 99% of the time, which you have to be if you, you know, singing in Metallica or something yeah. like that, or in any band, any touring band, uh, uh, especially when you get older, you got to be strong, but you can't be strong all the time. No. And that's and that's rock and roll as well. Yeah. It's true to admit, like you know what, I'm not strong today. I'm not doing well. I'm not okay. Today, and it's, yeah. it is a really, really big thing. Uh, um, and again, we're saying like how rock and roll is that you know the, the video of of uh, whiskey in the jar. So that guy singing in a, in a small room with people getting pissed and having fun, and that's that's the same guy who yeah. also said, Do you know what, I'm I'm having a hard time today, and I don't think I can play and sing as well as I, as I used to. But he's still brave enough to go there and do it, and that's rock and roll. Yeah. So yeah, hats one off thing, to him. I've seen Metallica about five times, and the one thing he does always is halfway through one of the end Sandman songs, he does this thing where they stop and they, the kick drum just keeps going and he does a question and answer. He goes, Metallica, and the audience goes, Metallica, family, family together in London, London. And it's, he, he always talks about it. And when you, when I first heard it and I was a teenager and he was like, guys, we're the Metallica family. We're here together. We're doing, I was kind of like, oh, this is a bit cheesy. But <laughs> imagine what that means to him. That these people, no, but uh, yeah. it's, it's funny. It is funny, yeah. but take a step back and think. He he probably relies on the fans more than we know. Yeah. If there's a show where they're at a festival, okay, let me take the Glastonbury I was talking about. Yeah. Glastonbury's filled with pop artists and yeah. folk artists. Metallica might have been out of place there. 
if the response he got from the audience was negative, we don't know how that would have impacted and affected him. Yeah. So I think he needs the fans more than we as fans think so. Oh yeah, also think about it. If they get so much criticism for some albums or, or as Lars gets from, from, oh, you're not as good as you used to be, etc. If they get that much criticism, when they're performing live, they know that the people who bought the tickets and came to that specific gig, they are open to listen and embrace to whatever they're doing. Yeah. So they're going to look for their support. Sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, the media is not with you and and some of the fans are not with you, but those guys who came to the gig, they are there with the band. Mm-hmm. They're part of an experience. That's a and huge, that's really yeah, cool. that's a really important shout um, talking about fans and accepting, I think this is a good place to move on to. This is actually the final thing I want to talk about. Um, is Metallica's? We've already established their openness to change small things in terms of how they write their metal music. So when I say trying new things out, there's three serious um, uh, instances that this happens with Metallica. S&M, 1999. A metal band with a full orchestra behind them. They oh, worked with the um, the what's the what's the conductor called? Was it Mich- Michael Kamen. Michael Kamen? Yeah. yeah, they worked with him and they 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 worked together to uh, arrange and compose classical music to be played behind their songs. That guy is the guy responsible for Pink Floyd's Pink Floyd's The Wall. The yeah. orchestral parts of it were written. Uh, and conducted by Michael Kamen. He's a phenomenal musician, uh, com- composer, conductor, like conductor orchestrator, who everything. happens to be familiar with rock music. So yeah. it's not everyone with a classical background who can actually deliver when it comes mm. to orchestrating rock songs, and he is really good at that. That's and it's, you've heard yeah. the album, you've watched yeah, the yeah, DVD yeah. with me and Jack. Uh, and I, I Phenomenal. Think, yeah, Metallica doesn't doesn't actually change the way they play. If you listen to, there's, there's another uh, band plus orchestra album that I like is what Scorpions did with, uh, with the, is it the Berlin Philharmonica or something? So they recorded a really nice album, but the band has changed the arrangements. That's a different concept, I like that. Uh, Metallic, what it is like, we're going to play the songs as we play them, yeah. and there's going to be some orchestra behind us. The orchestra's so, going to be doing yeah. different stuff. So, yeah, so writing something different for that is amazing. And the fact that Metallica was open to do that, again, they knew people would criticize them, but that was one product that I think most fans were backing them. They were mm. like, wow, this is really yeah. phenomenal. They did SM2, which is, you know, what, 20 year, 21 years later. Um, it's the same thing, same orchestra, but they made a fantastic DVD of it. Um, check them both out, because they're both just phenomenal. If you like Metallica and you like elements of classical music, go and check that out. Now, the one that did get heavily criticised, and we won't spend too much time on this, was the 2011 album called Lulu, which was Metallica plus Lou Reed. With songs they both written really? together. Yeah, it's not great. Um, there's Metallica's... It's cool, I've never heard of that one. It's cool Metallica music, like some da-dang, 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 and Lou Reed going, I am the table, sitting beneath society's damp limbs. <laughs> it's really, really odd, yeah. Um, there's, it has its moments, but it was one of those where, okay, I've listened to it, I will never listen to it again. Thanks for trying. But no. Do you know what? That's it. Thanks for trying. Yeah, and it's supposedly... I mean, this was a few years ago, but there was news that they were doing the same sort of thing with Lady Gaga, and I haven't heard anything recently about that, but we'll we'll see. 
Um, that's it for me and Metallica, man. Is there anything you wanted to discuss or ask about? Or... Uh, yeah, I, I, I want to ask you a question. Who's your favourite bass player? Because oh, they only changed bass players, right? Yeah, that um, is a, a controversial I think, topic. I think I think it quite easily have to be Jason Newstead. Um, Cliff was pretty innovative in what he did with his bass, with the distorting it, the soloing, like you said, the, a guitar, a guitar. What did you say earlier about it? Cliff Burton was like a guitarist, but on a bass. Yes. Um, yeah, Trujillo like has on a bass. Yeah. Trujillo has the look, the attitude, the rock and rollness. Um, but Newstead could do it all, man. His bass playing was phenomenal. He played with a pick, which actually yeah. Cliff and Trujillo play with their fingers. Jason's backing vocals are something that I think are criminally underrated. He had he, Trujillo did does backing vocals now, but he shouts. Right. So you know, if they do a song, he'll just shout a word. Whereas Newstead used to sing. And I think what he added to that band, he, he had to be instrumental in the way that they were developing the sound, going from Justice to Black Album, from Black Album to Load. I don't think they could have done that without him, so you've got to admire him as a musician, so he'd be my favourite. Also, he stayed with the band for so long, and he had one of the hardest tasks in heavy metal history, isn't it? Replacing, replacing Cliff Burton, yeah. Yeah, Cliff Burton. Uh, so, oh, do you know the other thing we've got to talk about is Dave Mustaine. All right, yes. Let's, let's do a little quick build. So, Dave Mustaine, as I told you earlier, started off in Metallica. Yeah. And then Metallica kicked him out, and it was the harshest way. I think we've all heard this story before. It's the same as Sid Barrett. I believe he was waiting to be picked up by the band to go to a tour, and they never turned so, up. This is just not good. Yeah, no, so, wow. Dave Mustaine went and formed Metallica's biggest rival, a band called Megadeth, who are a fantastic band. I actually do a little quick bit of history. Throughout the 80s, there is a famous label given to a set of bands called The Big Four. Now, these are the big four bands of thrash metal. I will just stick a couple of songs from each band in the playlist so you guys can hear what they sound like. Now, they are, and I put these in order of fame, Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer and Anthrax. These are the four bands that started in the 80s and had that aggressive, high-tempo, distorted guitar sound that thrash metal was becoming associated with. Um, and throughout this whole time, Megadeth and Metallica have been having this back and forth. Sometimes it would be public, but they'd all, you know, if Metallica released an album, Megadeth would soon have one coming, or if Megadeth released one, you know, it was, you don't feel that it was intentionally trying to one-up each other, but there was just always this competition. And what furthers that is that Mustaine was in Metallica. Um, so that rivalry was always fantastic and Doesn't really funny. He, he sounds a bit frustrated with not being in Metallica until nowadays. Yeah, well, you can, it's funny, can you like, blame him? Like, you know, imagine the money they're making you compared to Megadeth. You you were number two, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's not enough, isn't it? <laughs> um, there, there was, uh, there was a fantastic, just, just to finish this part off, uh, I was so lucky to be at Sonosphere Festival in the UK in 2011, which is the first time the Big Four all played together on one stage. Wow. So it was a music festival. They had a full Saturday and a full Sunday of bands, but the Friday, Anthrax, then Slayer, then Megadeth, then Metallica on the main stage. That is brilliant. And at the end of Metallica's set, every member from every band come on to play a song called Am I Evil by Diamond Head. Diamond Head are the band associated to being pre-thrash. Oh, so the way, let's so say, the way, the way Deep Purple, yeah, the way Deep Purple were pre-metal to Sabbath, yeah. Diamond Head were pre-thrash to Metallica. Get it. Uh, all, the, all the other thrash bands. So all, I don't know, 16, 17 members on the stage doing a cover of Am I Evil 
was amazing and to be there was such a special moment and to see Dave Mustaine and James Hetfield shake each other's hand give each other a hug really special and knowing all the confrontation and the issues between them for them to have settled it in 2011 and to have said enough is enough let's enjoy what we do and let's enjoy the music we play let's enjoy thrash metal it was phenomenal to see so yeah thank you to well who am I saying thank you to everyone Metallica Megadeth Anthrax Slayer Another epic moment, they, <coughs> alongside uh, loads of other musicians, uh, they've performed Big Bottom with, with Spinal Tap <laughs> on stage. Yeah. I think it was Glastonbury. Uh, Metallica, did they? Really? Yeah, oh they, my god, now I've not seen that they video. They played Big Bottom. It's, it's like everyone who played at the festival joined uh, <laughs> Spinal Tap, they're all playing bass. <laughs> That's what Big Bottom's about, yeah, isn't it? So, Big Bottom. Anyway, right, I'm done for Metallica, are you? Yeah, I yeah. Mean, I think I'm, just I'm in more keeping... interested in listening to them though. <laughs> in keeping with what we do each episode, I'm just going to summarise what I think Metallica did for rock and roll. Um, Metallica adapted, and so importantly, they were like the, the crucial. They were the first ones to make the adaptations that sort of thrash metal needed at that time. They've come out with some stunning metal albums that have cemented their place in metal history. Uh, Master of Puppets, The Black Album, and Justice for All. Oh, got all of the first five because they're all important. Yeah. But um, just their, 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 their willingness and want to change and adapt and move with the times. Like we discussed earlier, we don't know if they wanted to. We don't know if the record label told them they had to. But what matters is that they did. And they moved with the times and they changed metal for the they better, made, for the worse, you decide, but... They made heavy music accessible and that's important and relevant. I, I wonder how many people don't know the chorus to Enter Sandman. <laughs> Everyone knows that. Everyone. Very few people you'd find that wouldn't, but um, yeah. yeah. What a band. I mean, uh, yeah, as you can tell, it's been quite last heavy today because they are one of my favourite bands and Felipe's not Five. that. You don't know that much about them, do you? So no, we're going to do the same with Yes in a couple of weeks, aren't we? Because you yes. know more about them than I don't. So it'll be a Felipe episode. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we're going to do our normal thing. Tell, us, tell them where to find us, Felipe. On the internet. Yeah, I don't know if you guys know, there's a thing called Google. And if you just type in www.google.co.uk and type in Long Live Rock and Roll Podcast, we're going to come up. Yeah, because there's loads of platforms, you know, I don't know. And if you're listening to this in um, 2072, I don't know for how long the show's going to be available <laughs> on the internet. So if you listen to this uh, uh, 50 years from now, uh, I, God knows which podcast platforms are going to be around, but the internet probably <laughs> would still be there. So if you're listening to us in the future... Could have been an apocalypse. <laughs> Yeah, it could have been an apocalypse where oh, every big thing yeah. went down except the internet. Yeah, exactly. If the internet's still around, you can find us. They got rid That's of all it. the social media pages and it's yeah. just Google now. Yeah, so imagine, imagine if we're talking about, you know, I don't know, uh, uh, iTunes or whatever. What, what if those what's are the I don't know. I know yeah. about the internet. <laughs> yeah. So the internet is there, so check us out yeah. on the internet. Fantastic. Well, thank you for joining us, guys. Um, we hope you've enjoyed the discussion. Um, leave your comments and anything below uh, give us a like a review and a subscribe and all that stuff and I'll leave it to Felipe so keep on rocking everyone and as usual long live rock and roll